Hey, as a leader, I'd like to welcome you to this new era. We have a fantastic opportunity to rethink leadership and all the possibilities this new era provides. We can bring joy back to our vocation and our workplaces. And that's what we're talking about today on Experience Leadership. Welcome to Experience Leadership, a podcast that challenges small business owners and entrepreneurs, just like you, to dare to be the exception. Join our host, customer experience expert, Mark Hank, as he uncovers relevant and timely content to help you script and direct your business and teams to create jaw-dropping experiences your customers and staff deserve. Here is the host of Experience Leadership, author of Lights, Camera, Action, customer experience expert, Mark Hayne. Welcome. I appreciate you investing your most valuable asset to join me for this show today, and that is your time. My guest today is leadership expert, Jackie Insinger. We will be discussing some tools and strategies you can use to inspire others and motivate them to take action. So stay with us. I grew up with the adage of do unto others, then split. No, 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 that, that's not right. It was do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This was the golden rule of interpersonal dynamics. Basically, treat others the way that you would like to be treated. But as I mentioned, this is a new era. Our focus in our leadership practices has to change with the time. So that brings me to our question of the day. How has your leadership style changed since the onset of COVID? Have you made any conscious changes? Feel free to put your response in the comments section wherever you are consuming this content. Just please make sure that you hashtag it, hashtag experience leadership. I'd love for you to be part of this conversation. My guest today is author of the brand new book, Spark Brilliance, How the Science of Positive Psychology Will Ignite, Engage, and Transform Your Team. Jackie Insinger has brought her expertise in positive psychology and interpersonal dynamics to the business world as a sought-after leadership and team dynamics coach. Jackie has a psychology degree from Duke University and a master's in human development and psychology from Harvard. She is a member of both the Forbes Coaches Council and the Harvard Business Review Advisory Council. Jackie, welcome to the show. It is so great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Mark. I'm excited to be here. Before we get into today's topic, could you just dig a little bit deeper into what you do for your clients? Yeah, sure. I do leadership and team dynamics consulting for clients and really work with teams, mostly leadership teams on really how do we have more effective and meaningful relationships? How do we become a more cohesive team by understanding each other better? And how do we work together in more productive and fulfilling ways? And then I do a lot of coaching with leaders on, you know, how to really inspire, motivate effectively and lead and serve their teams in ways that not only accelerate their own career and up-level their teams, but also bring benefits back to the business bottom line. Because I think those three things are kind of key for most companies right now. So that's really my focus. That's awesome. Before we delve really super deep into our discussion, the phrase positive psychology sounds rather daunting. Could you tell us a little bit about what it is and why it's such an important topic, especially today? 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I don't think I've heard of it called daunting before. So I think that's a fascinating word. Some people call it fluffy is what I've heard also. So I think I love that you're asking me to clarify it. So positive psychology is actually a science. It's where they're studying MRI studies in the brain. And it's a, it's about figuring out what it is that makes people and communities thrive. So just kind of a brief synopsis on it. It wasn't founded until 1998 by Martin Seligman, this whole field. He was head of the American Psychological Association and found that, you know, so much of psychology's focus is how to really fix what's wrong, how to dive into what I look at as kind of the negative numbers on the number line and bring you back to baseline, right? And so, so much is about fixing and healing. And so what he decided to do is say, well, what about let's focus on what goes right and what causes communities to thrive? And how do we not just understand it, but how do we create more of it and see how we can have, you know, more people have more fulfilling and happy lives. And what are those things that we can do to actually change our brain to default and see things and scan for what's positive, not just the negative side. So the way that I like to, you know, explain positive psychology is if you picture a number line and our baseline is zero, that's our seat level. That's where we kind of, you know, that's our normal. And what happens is in traditional psychologies, we dip into the negative numbers and we get back to zero. Our goal is, you know, to, to stop the negative, right? So for instance, the abs- the absence of sickness though does not equal health. The absence of sadness does not equal happiness. And the absence of poor performance does not equal great performance. So there's this whole other side of the number line where the positive numbers live. And that's where my focus really is, is how do we get into this expansive potential on this positive side of the number line instead of just the goal of getting back to normal? And your question of why is this relevant right now? You know, I think it's more relevant right now because I don't know how many times you've heard it. I can't even count how many times I've heard in the past couple of years is we just want to get back to normal. Like, where's normal? And we want to be normal again. And, you know, are things seeming more normal? And it's this, this goal of neutrality, this goal of normal. But when you think back, like, what's so great about normal? What was so great about normal? And so why do we stop at normal, right? We've had this really challenging experience where we've kind of shifted the bar as normal is the goal. And so I'm, my focus is no, 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 let's break through this normal goal and get back into this high potential of the positive number line. So that's kind of where my focus and why I feel it's so relevant right now. Yeah. I've, I, all through COVID, when people were saying, let's get back to normal, I'd look at them and just say, you know what? Normal is a setting on a dryer. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Um, You know, it's interesting because being in, especially working with small business owners and businesses in general, in my background, Low employee engagement has always been an issue, even before the the pandemic really changed our world. But now, according to Gallup, we've now hit an all-time low. When we think about this idea of employee engagement and leadership engagement and so on, what's what do you think is going on in the workplace that's being highlighted now because of all the changes? You know, I think, you know, this, you know, great resignation is a lot of a great, you know, reevaluation. There's a great reset. There's all these great rewords that are mm. really going on where people are deciding, you know, what, what do I want? What makes me happy? What, what matters to me? And because of that, I think a lot of people have been empowered to make choices. And what we've seen a lot is about, you know, authentic connection is key. Feeling valued, seen, and heard by their employer. Really this, what I think of as, as culture theater, right? Like a lot of companies were able to put this really cool like band-aid on top 
and say, you know, we have beer on tap. We have foosball tables. Come work for us. We're super awesome. And really underneath this bandaid was not, not any substance that created the culture that people wanted to work for. And once that's exposed, when people went virtual, you know, everybody could see like, oh, this isn't really here. This, we don't have this strong culture. And a lot of those CEOs are the ones I started working with were like, we don't know how to do this. How do we build this culture where people want to stay? So I think so much of it is about the connection, the positive outlook, the making people feel valued, seen and heard. And we want to invest in you because we care about the person behind the product, just not just what you create for us. Yeah, it's amazing. eh? I was told, you know, I think the general consensus now is that COVID didn't really change anything. It just sped everything up. We just saw everything just jump in exponentially to the direction we were going anyway. And that, I think, is what became the challenge, I think, for leaders not being uh, not being ready for. Right. I agree completely. Yeah. I talked earlier about the golden rule, how I was brought up about, you know, do unto others. But as it turns out, that was or it seems to be now that it's really outdated thinking. I'd like to Mm -hmm. delve a little bit into your platinum rule, and we'll do that right after this. When the spotlight shines on your business, are customers applauding or yawning? In other words, how is your business performing? Make your business a star with a new book, Lights, Camera, Action, Business Operational Excellence Through the Lens of Live Theater by Mark Hain. Mark uses his business and acting experience to help you see your business like a live show so you can create a performance your customers will never forget. Buy Lights, Camera, Action today at your favorite online retailer or directly at MarkHain.com. Welcome back. I am speaking with the author of Brilliance. Spark Brilliance, How the Science of Positive Psychology Will Ignite, Engage, and Transform Your Team. Miss Jackie Insinger. Jackie, could you tell us a little bit more about your book? It's brand spanking new. Yes, it's a playbook for leaders. It's really a way that I believe simplifies a very messy topic, right? I think leadership is messy. People are messy. Dynamics are messy. And that always will be. We're, you know, organic moving things, right? So I think the idea of How do we take something that's very complicated and simplify it based on all the research out there, positive psychology research, leadership research, all the business studies and neuroscience? How do we simplify it into a step-by-step process that leaders can implement easily to becoming, you know, an extraordinary leader? I look at it as, you know, a lot of people get to great. A lot of people become really good leaders. And those, those are most of the ones I work with, right? You have to be really good or great at what you do to reach a certain level of leadership. And then there's this whole other side of it where you can move from great to extraordinary. And that's really my focus in here is a very easily to execute play by play of what I believe are the really the 10 facets of brilliance and walking you through how to do it based on all the research and what can you do to move to that space. Well, you know, it's funny that you said, you know, all the research, I think you've done a brilliant job of tying all the research actually into storytelling. There's a ton of stories in there, which makes it so easy to connect with what you're trying to say. And then you cite the statistics and the statistics themselves can be rather daunting and shocking all at the same time. How do you feel this book is different from other leadership books? That's a great question. You know, I think the combining the data with storytelling, like you said, and the really actionable piece of it. So, you know, every chapter ends with a self-evaluation and next steps to do with your team. So it's really something you can put into action right away. 
And I tried to have it appeal to the people who are skeptics who need the data, right? When you say to a leader who's like, you know what, trust in psychological safety feels really soft. Like that doesn't seem like a place to put my energy when I'm already overwhelmed with work and responsibilities. When you say 58% of employees trust a complete stranger more than their boss and people leave if they don't have trust, it's like, ooh, I need to pay attention, right? So certain people really need that data and I'm kind of a data junkie. Some of it is really relating to the people in the stories, right? And then I feel everybody wants it simplified into, well, what do I do with this? I think there are a lot of great books out there that are inspiring, that give you great tips and tools, but what do you do? And so that's something where, you know, part of my style as, as a coach is, you know, if we're not making progress, I'm not doing my job. So how do we consistently take action in the direction that you want to move? And that's kind of what I, what I did in this book. Yeah. Like I said, I picked up the book, the latter part of last week, and I started reading it and I've just been hooked to it because I think it's just so brilliantly written the way it is. I just want to let everybody know that the link to this book is in the show notes. So I encourage you to click on the link and get your own copy because you won't be sorry. It is really, really good. Jackie, I opened today's segment mentioning that the golden rule of relationships, treat people like you'd like to be treated. In your book, you debunk this thinking. Why is Mm -hmm. this way of thinking now ineffective? You know, I don't think it's just now ineffective. I think it's always been ineffective. (laughs) So (laughs) the golden rule, treat others as we wish to be treated, I think works really just for like large societies, mainly to teach people what not to do, right? I kind of have some ground rules around what, you know, what's off limits? What are the non-negotiables and how we treat people? But in real relationships, like who's to say that you, Mark, want to be treated the way I want to be treated and that your needs and desires and ways of communication are the same as mine? We only have our one lens on life. So that is our default, right? We assume, well, yeah, this is how I see it. Then that must be how somebody else sees it. But when you really start getting curious and realize, wait, you're probably not the same as me and you probably don't see help the same way I do or support and need it the same way I do or want feedback the same way I do. We all see that in our lives. If you're married, if you have kids, if you have friends, if you have siblings, if you have parents, like anybody in your life, you'll have seen, we all operate differently. So the platinum rule, which has been around for a long time. I learned about it right before starting grad school as some of my pre-course reading. And it just blew my mind. It was like, treat others as they wish to be treated. And it was like, well, yeah, right? So it's just this quick mindset shift of, you know, and it's, it's interesting how powerful it is usually when people hear that for the first time. It's just this switch that I believe is the foundational start that can thread through everything. As soon as you open your mind to, okay, I need to treat others as they wish to be treated. So how do I do that? You know, how do I understand somebody as else, somebody else's understanding? How do I get curious about what brings out the best in them? Because ultimately, you know, you want your message to be received. You want people to be effective and have meaningful relationships. So you have to do it in the way that they need it, right? Not the way you do. So, right. and vice versa. So I think that's the, the quickest, just shift. (laughs) But, you know, you mentioned in your book, you were, you highlighted a particular leader who thought he was getting the best from his team by the way that he was challenging people and pushing people and so on. But he had a really tough time making that shift. Could you talk a little bit about it? Because it's not as easy as it is to make the shift when it comes into your team dynamics and your organizational culture and so on. It could be a little bit painful to make that shift. Absolutely. And so much in the book is simple. but it's not easy. None of it's easy, right? But it is simplified. So 
you know, the shift is the first understanding of this is my, you know, I need to expand into curiosity, right? That's where that, what really happens with that. In terms of putting it into practice, it takes some energy, it takes some effort, but at the beginning, right, to understand other people's understanding, to start asking those questions, to get curious. But then once you put in that first like foundational investment of time to ask specific questions and there are guidelines of what questions to ask, even in the book, just some some suggestions, then it starts, you remember based on these conversations. So it's not just memorizing all these things about everybody. It's having very specific conversations around how do you prefer feedback or after you give feedback to somebody, if it doesn't seem to land well, instead of being like, well, that didn't go well, asking them, you know, how could I have said this differently where it would have, you know, felt better for you? Or give me an example of a time where this didn't work well for you. Just starting to ask these questions. I feel like there, there are so many opportunities to simply ask where we can get like a gold mine of information where we often overlook it. And so that's, I think, the number one thing is just getting curious and starting to ask those questions. And then it just sticks. Yeah. And it's interesting. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I came across this this thing about um, we should be asking more how questions and what questions more so than why questions. And just in your examples alone, you were saying, what do we need to do? What would make you feel? How mm-hmm. would you, right? Uh, which yeah. I think is really, really interesting. For people who are looking at this and saying, well, I, n- I now need to figure this out. I need now need to kind of jump into this. How do they go about to do, what is the first step on making this happen? Because there's all sorts of cultural implications as well. The first step in making it happen. So the first line on the last line of the book is it begins with you. So it's always starts with you, the leader. And that goes even to the title of the book, Spark Brilliance. It's about really you as the leader, Mm. shining your own bright light, right? And the brighter you shine and the more you show up with these strategies, the more you can ignite the brilliance in those around you. So all of these strategies throughout the book, you start with you. And that's why everything has a self-evaluation is, you know, what is your platinum, right? Like what, so there are discovery questions, which, you know, I, we can post and share this, you know, these, these initial questions to ask yourself, like what energizes me about my work? What drains me? What does a win look like and feel like to me? What does support look like to me? You know, what, you know, what is the situation where I felt most valued by my team? Right. So really starting to ask yourselves these questions, because the overwhelming majority of leaders, when you say, you know, you need to understand this around the people that you get to lead and serve, they have no idea these answers for themselves. Right. So you have to start by really understanding this about how do you want to be treated. Right. And then start gathering that data with others. So each chapter really is about that. Like it begins with you. That's where you start. Love it. That so makes sense. And went for anybody wanting to make the change, looking inside first. I mean, Michael Jackson was man in the mirror, right? Check out the <laughs> yeah, man in the mirror. Go. And then start from there. Jackie, this this is absolutely fabulous. Um, if this is resonating with people, how can people get in touch with you? Well, on LinkedIn, that's kind of my biggest social media place where I hang out. So it's just Jackie and Singer on LinkedIn. I think my maiden name's in there too. So it's Jackie Hertz. H-E-R-T-Z in Singer. I'm on Instagram as well. Same name. And then anybody can email me like Jackie at sparkbrilliance.com. I love, you know, anybody who has questions or anybody who reads the book who wants to share feedback or ask questions about it. I love that. So I love that interaction. And like you said, the book is on Amazon, which is, or it's on any online seller, but Amazon's kind of the, the default for most. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, that's the What's ways. great as well is on Amazon, the book in Canada is $1.27. I believe it's 99, the Kindle version is 99 cents in the States. 
so that just right now it is yeah. because it's being sent out to a list of a million people as part of a promotion on Friday. So yes. they, as part of this promotion, it's discounted for one week at 99 cents. And then I think it goes back to 999. So it was just yeah. marked down yesterday. So perfect timing. Yeah. Perfect timing. So I, mm-hmm. I encourage anybody to go ahead and go and get it. I have been sending out the link to my friends saying, you have to get this. Uh, thank you. Uh, so, so because I do think it's really well written and really worth the time. So thank you for that. And then also thank you so much because you've also sent me a worksheet that is in the show notes. I put a Dropbox link to your worksheet that taking that first step, you can use that worksheet to take a look inside and then you can then apply it to your team as well. So Jackie, thank you so much for that worksheet. Just fabulous, fantastic. In the book, you talk about trust and safety an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Why do leaders have to make this like a driving focus? You know, trust is so important. It's so important in our regular home personal lives, right? And people didn't really focus on it as much in work settings. And mm-hmm. what's fascinating is there's a, a big project called Project Aristotle that was done by Google. And they studied teams around the globe, like hundreds of teams to figure out, I think the study was about two years long with, you know, 180 or something factors that they studied of what they were trying to figure out is what creates the highest performing team. And, you know, the hypothesis was our rock stars, right? That's, that's what creates the highest performing team wasn't even in the top five. So what they found by and large, the number one factor to create a high performing team was psychological safety on the team. And this was a real breakthrough because psychological safety, right? Is like the, you know, a definition around it is the ability to take interpersonal risks, which is like sharing, you know, sharing an initiative, sharing an idea, going against an idea, challenging an idea, admitting a mistake, saying, I don't know, right? Any of those things keep heart without fear of shame or judgment. So when you're in an environment where you can say these things without fear of shame or judgment, that's what creates this feeling of psychological safety of I'm not at risk for saying, I don't know. I'm not at risk for saying I'm, I messed up. And when you have this environment, the way that I look at it is it's not another thing we have to be careful about, because I think there's a lot about leaders are worried about more things that they have to like wrap in bubble wrap right now. I look at it as this really great energy that you create between people on a team where they feel seen, valued and heard and respected for who they are and what they bring as humans. And from there, you encourage courage. So the flip side to me of psychological safety is this idea of when you have psychological safety, this ability to take interpersonal risks without fear of shame or judgment, you can then encourage courage where people take risks, where innovation happens, where better decisions are made because people are feeling free to share when they disagree, free to share a mistake that the team can learn from right? So that's, you know, from a business perspective, amazing thing, magic happens when you're able to create this environment of psychological safety and people feel seen and heard and valued, which people really want and care about right now in order to stay and stay engaged. Yeah. And a lot of what you just talked about is this idea as well. And we've covered this in in past episodes. It's this idea of conquering that fear of failure, actually leveraging Mm -hmm. failure as being a positive rather than a negative. And by creating that mm-hmm. trust and the psychological safety that you're talking about, it's so much easier for us to be able to play in that realm and take chances. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree with you. And I think it all starts, it begins with you, right? Yeah. As the leader, you have to model that by sharing those failures, sharing mistakes, saying, you know, I don't know the answer to this in the room, or this isn't my expertise. 
And once you're able to model that on the team and they see it's okay, and you model it when people do make mistakes of like, hey, this just happened. How do we learn from this? Or, you know, encouraging people to share thoughts and opinions that aren't the consensus view. And that starts bringing that vibe out much quicker. Yeah, it's so interesting. And, you know, what I think really brought this to light as well was when people had to start working remotely. I worked in municipality way before COVID ever hit, and I couldn't understand why it was that people deemed you to be working while you were at your desk, right? And <laughs> because because I, walk, I have this story that I walked in, I walked in like at 20 past nine one day, and somebody, as I was walking through the front foyer, somebody went, oh, well, that's nice. And I stopped and I said, what's that? She goes, well, uh, you know, our day starts at 8.30. And it's like, oh, well, I was at a meeting since seven o'clock this morning. And then I thought to myself, it's like, why did you think because I wasn't at my desk, I wasn't working, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and so, yeah. but COVID now really shook that up. And when you look at kind of all the technology that launched very quickly on the big brother software, the stuff that's going to monitor other people's computers and watch for keystrokes and what are they looking at and so on. That was like, it was like people wanting to install surveillance cameras in their stores. You can install surveillance cameras. Yeah. When do you have the time to watch it? Right? <laughs> and, and so people went off and they bought this Berg Brothers software and stuff, actually never really used it. But then at the end of it, we learned that if we trusted people a little bit and we kept people accountable to their output and to what they're wanting to achieve, what you, what your goals are, it was so much more effective. And people actually, oh, yeah. I, I think the stat was that on, on average, people work three to four hours more per week because they were working from home. Yeah. And there's good and bad to that too, right? Sure there is. Absolutely. This this, you know, inability for a lot of people to turn it off. Yeah. Because, you know, work and home exist in the same space that, you know, I have some clients that we literally have to put their computers. Well, we don't do it. That's one of their their things that they do. I don't go to their house and do this. They like put their computers in a drawer and have to close the door in a specific room because it's like I have to find a way to turn it off because it's so easy to be like, oh, I just need to go respond to it. Oh, I need to you know, there's no separation right. anymore. So I think that's been hard for a lot of people to take vacation, take time off, you know, because hours are so flexible for a lot of people that it's just, you know, bleeding into their family time. Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting because we were before COVID always talking about work-life balance. And now we're talking about work-life integration and how that's going to yeah. look like and what that looks like. You know, as we go through all this, you know, there's the, tr the trust and, and safety aspect of it as well. But, you know, one of the things that I, I'm constantly facing is kind of like a, basically another issue. And in last week's episode, we talked about the importance of people working within their zone of genius, mm. about working in within, I think, to, to cone years, working within their brilliance. Could you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that and the importance of people being able to for leaders to spot what people's brilliance are so that they can encourage people to work within that? Yes, you know what it feels like when you're doing something you love. Feel like time is flying, you're in flow. There in positive psychology, there's like three words that I love to to kind of measure what these things are. It's when something feels energizing, essential and effortless, right? And so kind of bringing it down to these three E's and really finding more time and space and work to spend in that zone where you're feeling energized, essential and effortless around the work you're doing. And in the book I have like quite a few different techniques I use with my clients to figure out what is that place? Where do you want to spend the majority of your time? And it's not saying to not do your core job responsibilities. It's not about that because some of those, of course you have to do, 
but there are probably a lot of things that we do that might be someone else's brilliance that's not ours and the stuff that is draining for us and it's not fulfilling and it's not something exciting and energizing for us that if we can spend more time in that zone, not only are we performing higher and more productive and fulfilled, we're happier, right? And that is so key to how we want to live our lives. So there's so much around finding and discovering what is your brilliance? Where do you want to be spending more time that's energizing for you? There's, you know, project reflections that I have a lot of people do with their teams around, you know, after a project, like, what did you feel was most energizing? Why? Which part? What part felt most draining? Why? Which part? You know, and really diving in so you can move people over to that space. And I have a lot of other exercises around it too, of how to identify what is that sweet spot, right? The Mm -hmm. intersection, I call it between talent and passion, right? So there's that really special place where it's not just what you're good at, it's what you really enjoy because those things don't always intersect. Right. You can be good at something and not enjoy it at least. And, you know, as a little teaser for those people who don't have the book yet, there's a beautiful XO exercise that you're going to have to check out. We're not going to we're not going to say any more about that, except that it's a really <laughs> good tool. You need to get the book to find out about it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. What? Thank you. It's so simple. It yeah, is it's so simple, but it works so well. It is. And, you know, as I was going through it, it's like, wow, I wish I had done this 30 years ago because I would have mm-hmm. I would have found my I think my zone of genius a lot faster, I think. Good, good. When we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit about how the audience can take what we've talked about today, mull it all together, and take the next steps. And we'll do that right after this. Attention, meeting and event planners. Is your company or association planning a live or virtual conference, seminar, staff retreat? Are you looking for a fresh, energetic perspective on what it takes to put on a jaw-dropping experience for your customers or staff? Book customer experience expert, Mark Kane for your next group event. Past participants have said, Mark kept us in stitches while teaching us how important and powerful actually designing our customer experience can be. Read more testimonials and find out how Mark can serve you and your group at markhain.com. That's M-A-R-C-H-A-I-N-E.com. Welcome back. I hope that if you're watching this, you've taken a ton of notes. If not, I certainly encourage you to go back and rewatch it and take the notes you need because I think I personally I think that your very next step as soon as this episode is over is go to Amazon and buy Jackie's book because <laughs> I think it'll do you a world of good if you're in any kind of a leadership role. Aside from that Jackie, for those tuning in, knowing that they have to make some changes, what are some of the next steps that they can take? We do have the team discovery questions in the link in the show notes. So I know that that's one. Is there anything else that you would encourage people to do on the get-go? Yeah, you know, one topic that I think excites me the most that I talk about in this book, but I, I talk about it a lot with clients and it really seems to click because so much feels out of our control, right? So how do we like bring things back into what can we control in the moment? And there's this concept called emotional contagion, which is like it sounds, it's the spontaneous spread of emotions from person to person or through a group. And what happens is, it's fascinating, in 33 milliseconds, our amygdala, part of our brain, will read and identify someone's emotions and instantaneously take them on. So as a leader, you have this, you know, 
you can look at it as a responsibility, right? Or an obligation, or you can look at it as an opportunity and a privilege to show up in a way that you cascade out an outlook, an emotion to the people you lead. And we know also when you're stressed out, your performance goes down. And when you have a positive outlook, your performance goes up. So there's, there's so many things in this choice, in this moment, in this pause moment to decide, how do I want to show up? Because as a leader, not only do you spread your emotion to the layer below you that you interact with and your peers, but you also spread it cascading down because what happens and out because people you don't even interact with, the people that you do interact with, say your direct reports, it will instantaneously take on your emotion of how you show up into a meeting. And then they interact with others and they take on their emotions that you started, right? So it begins with you and you get to decide which tide you're going to change, right? So are you going to spread this positive outlook, which from like a, a data perspective, positive outlook increases productivity by 31%, sales by 37%, profitability by up to 50%, and decreases the negative impact of stress by 23% by spreading this positive outlook. So that's a choice. That's a moment to pause and decide how do I want to show up to the people that I get to lead, right? And the same negative impact happens when you show up in a grumpy mood. And we all know that feeling, right? You're in, you're in a room and somebody walks in, whether it's somebody in your family or, or you know, a, a colleague or a boss at work, and they walk in like all like, you know, the mood, it just, it just drops, right? So we have the power to shift so much and cascade just by how you choose to show up. So if there's one thing you walk away from today, I would say is really tapping into that power and pausing and being deliberate and intentional about how do I want to show up before I interact with the people I lead. Love it. You know, I can, I, as you were talking, I could think of all these different scenarios that popped in on where I, as a leader, influenced the group. One particular instance, I was working at a hotel and we were get, setting up for a banquet. And my son, who was 16 at the time, came and helped me and we were moving tables. And my son noticed something. He said, Dad, you know, from the minute you walked in here, you've had a smile plastered on your face the whole time. Huh. And so as we were walking with the tables, I was telling him, well, you know, because I'm the general manager, people can't see me stressed because that creates this whole big negativity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want people to be upbeat. I want them to be positive. I want them to know that, you know, if challenges are happening, which they will, that it's not the end of the world, we will face them. And he goes, wow, dad, that is so great. So yeah. great, dad. Can you do that at home? <laughs> That's amazing. So uh, you knew, you just knew intuitively how to lead. Well, you, I think you, I think some of us know intuitively, I think, you know, but like you said, it's a choice. Like I can also recall one time when I was working for a casino, I was driving to work and I, I knew I had to deal with a really difficult situation. And I remember thinking to myself as I was driving that this, how I deal with this problem is going to define the kind of leader I am. Mm. And so, like you said, wow. it's a choice. And so we, every time we get into scenarios and I challenge the audience to do the same thing is what kind of leader do you want to represent? What kind of leader do you want to reflect? What kind of person do you want to model within your team? When you're facing these yeah. really, and some of them are really deep seated challenges within organizations. Yeah, I agree. And I think what's interesting, what I've seen as a big dilemma that with a lot of clients that I, that I work with now is they say, well, if I have a positive outlook, I might have to fake it because we do have problems and we do have challenges. And do, am I supposed to fake this? And the answer is no, absolutely not. Right. Because this is a brain thing. Like you can't really trick somebody's brain with a fake smile. 
So the idea is finding kind of this, this sweet spot with authenticity and positive outlook. So really, I call it practical optimism. So really looking at what's real because you need authenticity or else people won't trust you. And we already talked about trust, like it's key, right? So we need the trust. So you need to be authentic. So looking at acknowledging this is the reality and then you implement the positive outlook of, and I, we're looking toward the future. How are we going to solve this? What are our solutions in the belief that we together as a team will figure this out, right? So that's where the difference is, is here's the thing and we're looking forward, right? So as Sean Acor says, like we're going to fall up instead of falling down. And so I love that whole idea about, yes, you can be authentic and have a positive outlook. What would you say to people? Like I, I've talked to a lot of leaders and granted, I am a baby boomer. And a lot of the leaders I worked with were, you know, baby boomers or they were the one built before baby boomers. I don't know what came before it, but whatever. And this philosophy or this psychology of I can't let people know that I'm challenged because I am the boss and they have to know that I am perfect kind of mentality. How do we shake that tree and get them to stop thinking that way? You know, I think it's baby steps. I think for a lot of people who feel stuck in a particular leadership style, like more of that older school, like, uh, you know, authoritative, like come follow me rather than come with me and I'll bring you along. Right. So like the mentor like leader versus the follow me leader. Mm -hmm. What I do is I'm like, try this thing, right? Like ask about their weekend before you dive into the agenda or, you know, share a win, you know, before you start talking about what we did wrong or what we need to improve. Or, you know, share a story of a failure you had or own the mistake or say, I don't know the answer to this when you don't know the answer and just see these little things and see the feedback you get. And what, what people see, I mean, without fail is people start speaking up more. People start relaxing in meetings. People start sharing ideas just with these little baby steps. And then as the leader, when you start getting this positive feedback loop, it's like, okay, I'm going to do a little more. I'm going to do a little more because you see, wait, this is working. I see something working. So oftentimes there's not a belief in the soft skills until you see the soft skills actually have, you know, a quantitative, you know, return. So, and they do, right? So, and we know that. So it's sometimes just these little baby steps and then reflecting on how did that go? What changed? And then that's often how I move people along in that direction. Yeah. It does take a lot of intentionality, though, in order to make that happen. Like you have to, I, the leader would have to be constantly on guard to make sure that whatever crisis is coming in, that it just doesn't push them back into their bad behavior. Is there any tips or tricks that you can give people who might be wanting to make the change, but they keep falling back into how they used to behave? You know, interestingly, like with the leadership programs I do around this topic, I often do them in cohorts. So you have like a, a small group of leaders, you go through this together and you're accountability partners in these things, right? You have meetings where you check in with each other and have somebody who can, can check you on it a little bit because it is challenging. We all, you know, default to some patterns that are hard to change. So just having somebody help you with that, I think is really important. I, having a safe word. Pick the word hippopotamus. No matter how mad you are, yeah. when you hear the word hippopotamus, you can't stay mad. I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You can do that. I could be, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll start talking about that one. That's good. <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> for people who are listening to this and they go, yes, I have to make the change. And they're going to buy your book. They're going to go through the exercises. They might call you up and say, Jackie, I need your help. What are some cautionaries that we have to be aware of 
so that we just don't band-aid problems? Yeah, you know, first being authentic, like this is not about not seeing reality. Also, that things, it's not going to change overnight, like anything, like you're making a big shift around how you show up to your team, how you lead. And even though it's very simple to implement, like I said before, it's, it's, it's not always easy. So looking at it as progress, right. And you know, there's a whole chapter on wins and how to create motivation and momentum through wins. You have to have bite-sized wins along the way. You have to be able to notice the small steps you're making instead of waiting for like, oh, I'm going to lose 30 pounds. It's like, no, I'm going to eat healthy this week and, you know, exercise three times and see what happens, right? Like, and your long-term goal, you have to break it down into short-term goals to be able to see the wins and momentum. So I look at it as, you know, um, practice makes progress, not practice makes perfect. And so the goal is to be making progress. And so that's where, and celebrate the progress along the way. So you can really note what's changing and shifting. So that's the, that's, I know I'm somebody who likes immediate gratification. So having like progress, you know, like the little, like I look at it as, you know, first downs, having a lot of first downs along the way, instead of waiting for the touchdown, right? So let's celebrate each first down. So that way you can feel that gratification along the way. Right. And I think we have to give ourselves a lot of grace too, because we are human beings and we will falter, we will trip and things will happen. Of course. And that's where the psychological safety comes in is being able to say like, oops, sorry, guys, I messed up. You know, I should have done this or I came in really grumpy today and I know that set everybody off. I apologize. Right. Like just being able to take that ownership. And once you have that environment of psychological safety, that's there for you, too, as the leader. Right. Or even being able to say, like, I, I don't think that feedback landed well or I shouldn't have just popped in and said that when, you know, in the middle of this meeting or, you know, just but having that transparency and that environment that also creates that safety for you as the leader. I absolutely love this conversation, Jackie. Do you have any last thoughts about what we're talking about today? You know, just remembering it begins with you. And not only do you have the power to change how you show up as a leader, but by choosing how you show up, you can change the tide and the experience for everyone around you. And that to me is just the coolest thing. And it's what the world really needs right now. So I'm just asking that if people just try it and try that positive outlook, try authenticity and intentionality behind how you show up, that to me is is the greatest gift that you can give people around you. Could you remind everybody one more time how they can get a hold of you? Yes, Jackie Insinger on LinkedIn, on Instagram, my email, Jackie at sparkbrilliance.com. Love to hear from anybody in the book. Spark Brilliance is on Amazon. Love it. Jackie, thank you so much again for taking time out today for this. This has just been brilliant. As you can tell, I've had a perma smile the whole time we've been talking about this <laughs> stuff. It's a stuff, you know, it's it's interesting because when you share philosophies and, and kind of lines of thinking and then with all the research that you did with your book, it's stuff that really resonates. And, you know, you as you read it, you know, it's true. You know that it is something mm-hmm. that you can test for yourself and you can move forward with it. So thank you so much for today. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. And thanks for all your excitement around what I'm doing here. I love that. It seems like we're very aligned. (laughs) It's brilliant. (laughs) Thank you again. Why don't you let me know if this was of value to you? As always, my offer stands. If you would like 30 minutes of my time to brainstorm your business with you and your team, please feel free to book yourself on my online calendar. The link is in the show notes. It would be my absolute honor for me to be of service. And if you haven't done so yet, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to this show? By doing so, it'll give you first dibs whenever I bring you fresh new content with the expertise like you saw today. Jackie Insinger is brilliant and 
we just keep on learning. And as leaders, we learn. My biggest hope is that I help you work on your business, not just in your business. My biggest hope is that you create the show-stopping, draw-dropping experiences that your customers and your employees deserve. My name is Mark Hain. I hope you stay safe, stay healthy, and I hope you dare to be the exception. Thank you for joining us this week on Experience Leadership. Make sure you visit markhain.com for a full directory of available episodes. While you're at it, if you found today's content valuable, please share it and tell your friends about the show. As Mark says, knowledge is power, but only if you share it. Be sure to tune in each week for the newest episode. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and dare to be the exception. Thank you.